Rika Technologies and GodAndAppIdea.com present this week's episode of Incubate This in partnership with The Rika Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is our very first podcast of 2020. And if you're wondering why we waited until February, it's just because January is our off season. Things get a little crazy at the end of the year and it takes us a little time. Um, and we just made that up this year cause we just started podcasting <laughs> last year. So that's our new thing. You know how like sitcoms and TV shows have like their off season. This podcast off season is January. January. So, uh, today we thought that we would talk about something that has come up a few times in the last month or two. And, uh, we thought it was worth, uh, podcasting about. So why... QA, quality assurance, quality engineering, quality testing. Why does it matter? When should you do it? How do you do it so that it's effective, et cetera, et cetera. So I, you know, I kind of, I, I, w- I want to know why this matters, right? So I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I know everything there is to know about my software, hardware, et cetera, insert product name here. And I looked it over and I think it's great. So what's the deal? Why QA? Well, give it to your customers. Go ahead and go ahead and put it out. My customers think exactly like me. And no, no, no. I'm saying (laughs) actually put it in their hands and wait for the onslaught of complaints. Mm. This button doesn't work. Or I click this button after this button. And you realize, oh, while I was developing this or while my developer was developing this, they always clicked this button first and then that button. Yeah. And it turns out if you click them in the reverse order. Something weird happens. Bad things happen. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So essentially what you're saying is that users, end users, somebody, in fact, having somebody who maybe even doesn't know it as well as you do. Yes. Will produce a different result because they don't already, they haven't been there for the design and the thinking through the flow. Yeah. And so they're just going to do things however it feels natural to do things, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little like, I mean, the analogy I think of is this, it's like raking your leaves. Mm. You know, at, at a certain point, you're not thinking about where you're moving the rake. You're just raking and raking and raking and you get into these grooves and you're not even thinking about raking anymore, right? Well, it's the same thing when you're, Developing software, but even unless you're a professional tester, testing software, and you will do things in the same order in the same way every time, mm. just because you're human, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you need someone else that's got that that's got the ten thousand foot view to come behind you and go, "What happens if I don't put an email address in this? Or what happens if I put characters in this field that don't belong? Mm. Or what happens if I click these buttons in this different order? Or what happens if I drag this over here?" Or any number of things. And that's where a good QA tester comes in because they, they are trained to think about those kind of things. Huh. But I think back to our earlier point, I think a lot of people, they're like, it's, it's a really simple app. Mm-hmm. How many times have we dealt with that? It's a really so simple many app. Times. You know, it doesn't really require that much tests. It only does these two little things. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, but you still need, you still need tests. And to my way of thinking, the big, the big rage these days is automated tests. And automated tests are great, you know, where you write code that will do the test for you. And that can catch a lot of things. Nothing is going to replace a human being. You're never going to be able to automate a human being in that respect, I personally feel. 
So Elon Musk is working on it. Elon Musk is working <laughs> on it, but he has not achieved it yet. He sent that robot to the sun. That's that's part of that, right? <laughs> QAI. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so that's a good point. So there is such thing as automated testing. When is that useful? What is it for people who may not know what it is? And then when is it useful? You want to take this one, Grant? <laughs> <laughs> do you write code that calls your code in different ways? I mean, unit testing does it in one way where it strips down to the bare, bare essentials and tries to call specific functions and things within your code. Um, there's more integration or higher level testing, which kind of calls application functionality, where I might make a call to endpoints and check the response. Um, so there's a lot of different levels, but it's always like, you know, you like Daryl said, you write some code to test your code. And I think that probably the the biggest benefit out of that is preventing regression. Yes. Mm. Because you'll work on an area of your application for a long time and you'll get it working perfectly. And then you kind of, I can put that on the shelf now, that works. <laughs> and you go and you're working on a different area. And that's the thing with code is that there's most there's often usually almost always unintended side effects mm. so you're working on this section over here and you get that down and working perfectly well it doesn't have anything to do with that other section that's perfectly tested and completed but somehow it did um and that's the thing and so we don't go back and sometimes we don't we don't go back for a long time to check that thing that we checked a long time ago and i've done this where i've gone back and something that was working for a long time doesn't work anymore and I realized that hasn't worked now for three weeks because I made this change to this other thing. I never went and checked that thing over there that's totally unrelated because it's totally unrelated. Yeah. But again, that's our, you know, our bad of as programmers is that we get side effects with things. Yeah. And it's so, a good way to do that because it's so mindless because you hate going back and, and running the yeah. same stuff over and over. That's the... That's, you know, that's where QA people are just like such troopers. Yeah. I mean, they'll run through the same screens over and over. And, you know, every time they hit an error, they document it and they get it back to you and then they start over again. Yeah. And it's not until they can run through 20 different scenarios between two different screens that, okay, That it's they're good. satisfied. <laughs> you know? And I think that's what's interesting about what you're saying is good QA people, they're like, they're very detail oriented and they... They love that. Yeah. I mean, for us, we get bored looking at the same thing every day all the time. They never do. Yeah, because we like to create. Right. And so when we're running through the same stuff and it seems to be working, well, there's no more to create in that section because we think it's working. Yeah. So, you know, we test it to us and we don't want to see it again because we're done with that. Yeah. It's time the to QA create something people, else. Yeah. I think, boy, if I were hiring Q people, I'd be looking for people who have been diagnosed with OCD. You know? <laughs> I mean, and, and gosh, yeah, we have, we've had some good ones at some places we've worked and yeah. I'm just amazed at their thoroughness oh, and, yeah. and how they'll keep sticking with something until you get it to their satisfaction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a little frustrating, but it's like, wow, you guys are good. Yeah. So it sounds like you can't, you must have QA humans. In any situation, if you have a bare minimum and you don't have the ability to do automated testing, maybe you don't have it in your budget or you don't have anybody with that skill, at a minimum, you must have a human. I think so. Yeah. And 
automated testing doesn't replace a human is what it sounds like you're saying. It's just an it's staff augmentation, yeah. as, as you like to say. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, way too many companies and way too many projects are going the opposite direction. They say we mm. got to have what's called 100% code coverage, right. which means they've got all of their functions and all of their endpoints um, covered by code. And quantifiably, we can prove that that is not enough because look at all of the crap software that is out there right now <laughs> that has 100% code completion. Grant worked at a company a few years ago and they were all about 100% code completion. Code coverage. And their software did not work. Right. It did not work. Right. Yeah, I made changes, uh, fixing a bug. And boy, I'm still remembering this scenario because I really handled it badly. Um, and the tests wouldn't run. And this was a situation where they did this stuff on Jenkins out in the cloud. And it would take hours to run the tests. And this is why they weren't getting anywhere in there because they were so devoted to tests. They were coding to tests. They were designing a system for testing. And I don't care if you think that's good, it's wrong because it's a, was a pile of crap. Mm. Um, their system was a pile of crap. So what were they testing? But the thing was, I couldn't get it to pass some tests. Well, we came to discover that the test was written wrong all along by the guy who'd been there for uh. 10 years and he's overplaying ping pong while I'm fixing his test. Oh, geez. So that I can get out of there by 6 p.m. because I have to fix his test so that I can actually get my bug fixed. Yeah. And this is where it's like, that guy should have been reprimanded. I mean, the whole team should have been called in, actually. I should have called the whole team in and said, what are you testing? Yeah. Your tests aren't even right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, know, that it, it takes skill to write automated tests because these tools, Jasmine, Mocha, I don't even, I'm getting mad. There's so many of them. <laughs> They suck. Yeah. And you get into this mental masturbation testing game and people are just duplicating the same tests over and over. there's no, that's the thing is there's no planning in, in these things. A lot mm. of times it's up to the developer to write the tests. And, um, you know, I, I found where, you know, we're testing the same clicks for various screens in 70 tests. And it's like, why didn't you organize this by endpoint, by page, Yeah. Mm -hmm. test page by page? Because if I fix a bug, I might be going through three pages. I'm writing, it, it was just unbelievable. Like I said, yeah. the test took four hours to complete. And they usually, they usually timed out. Two of the three testing suites would time out usually oh, every time. So you would restart your test. It could take two or three days to get a one line change done because you had to get it through the tests. Oh. Then it had to go to the QA people. Then it got, then it got reviewed by your fellow programmers, which invariably had you change things. And yeah. then you had to go so through all start that all over again. again. So it could take a week to change one simple thing Jeez. because their system was so horked up because they were so devoted. And it's like, okay, when your tests are taking half a day, something's wrong. Yeah. You should just stop testing and figure out what you're doing wrong instead of just adding more to it. Yeah. And so, what, so it sounds like testing automated testing has been sort of painted as the silver bullet, right? Like it's yes. going to fix everything. Yes. Yeah, so many, the, so many developers, I think they, they really think that. Yeah. That and it bullet. sounds like what you're saying is the test is only as good as the developer who wrote it. Yeah. I picked up a project three years ago that had a bunch of tests and passed the test. And as soon as I fired up the project and looked in the console and my Google Chrome, it had hundreds of errors on pages it was making API calls multiple times on pages, you know, to go get oh, product yeah. details. It was calling the product, the same product details three times on a page. I called up the old developers. I'm like, hey, I noticed this. What's a, oh, we never noticed that. 
Oh, geez. And that's because developers under 25 don't look at stuff like that. They write a bunch of tests and if the test passed, they're good. Yeah. And it's like, wow, you just go look in the console and you can see 78 JavaScript errors on your page that you just wrote. Yeah. So I'm curious. So one of, in my experience, one of the best QA teams I've ever worked with was MXLogic. Uh, hands down. I mean, they, they were worth their weight in gold. Yes, they were. Did they go into the level? I don't remember because they really got started right before I left. So did, did they go into the level of detail of pointing out, Hey, you're making the same API call three times. Did they, were they able to detect that sort of thing? It used there to, were some guys. Yeah, there were really some look. guys, but the, it used to come up more. That kind of stuff comes up more where it's like, why is this so slow? Oh, okay. You know, and you could just feel like it. It's just this. This should be faster than this. Yeah, and that's usually and they how would they. Bring that up, yeah, right? they like, would bring. So, so this is slow. This all of is a slow, and it's why. like, oh well, you know, we'd go in and look and be like, this call is getting made six times. <laughs> like, why are we doing that? When as developers, I mean, this is why I kind of bristle when they, you know, they uh, console log. That's caveman debugging. Print. You know what, Kernigan or Richie, one of those guys, when he wrote Pragmatic Programmer. The best debugging is print statements. He said yes. so. He said line by line debuggers yep. so that you're stepping through, you get lost in what you're doing. Yep. And you forget where you came from you or what your scope is. You went up yep. and down and mm -hmm. up and down a call stack. Yep. But with a print statement, that you you've see got, it you show can up see six times. that happened when you look at it. Yep. I, I personally like step debuggers, but I 100% agree. I, because when I use, and I had to use step debuggers at, at one, one project for PHP that we worked on mm -hmm. all together. Because it was such a mess, the code was such a mess, I just needed something. But the thing was, is I would have to step through at, at least five times the same code every time just to, to map in my in brain, brain. Yeah. what the path was. Yeah. And so, oh, okay, that's calling this and this is calling that. And okay, now I know where this variable is coming from. I mean, I, I still definitely need to use them, especially the more async work that yeah. you do. Yeah, I think that then it helps then you're like, because you'll be debugging something in a debugger and you'd be like, how did I end up here? <laughs> right. Where, wait a minute. It just called into this function. That's what? <laughs> and it's because of some async stuff. And, I, you know, it's invaluable there to find particular things that, you know, like this isn't running right. And I can't figure out why when I look at the code and, and you know, walk through it in my head. Um, but, yeah, it's just I, it's a reliance on tools. And I wrote a little blurb uh, a few years ago on LinkedIn because of that one project where, oh, but it passes all the tests and we run the tests every time we check something in. But like I said, there were tons of JavaScript errors and all these extra calls to the services and stuff. And I wrote a thing it was that it reminded me of the little slew of, of self-driving car accidents that seemed to happen a few years ago, three or four years ago mm. that it was like in the news a lot. Yep. And I, and I'm like, and, and when they went back and looked Elon at Elon Musk. Yeah. When they went back and looked at the black boxes and everything, what they always determined was it was operator error. The operator was relying too much on a system that the warning said, don't rely on this to this degree. And it, that's the thing with the automated testing, I think, is it's like we now have automated testing that runs every time we check something in. So we won't have bugs. So we don't really have to pay that close attention right. when we're developing anything. Remember, what, yeah. remember the, the phrase I told you that Rich Hickey, so Rich Hickey is the creator of Clojure, the okay. programming language. Yep. He calls it guardrail programming. <laughs> <laughs> that's he's funny. Like, he's, he's got a great talk um, where he talks about that, but uh, he's like, you know, tests are tests can be useful, but yeah. you, you cannot over rely on them. You know, yeah. um, 
I'm trying to remember the the example he gave. Um, but I see what you said all of the time in the NPM world. Uh, these plugins for NativeScript and these you know NPM modules for JavaScript, and they just don't work, or they or they break in weird ways. And then you go look on their GitHub page, and they've got that little green button at the top: test pass. Yeah, and that's kind of like well, the furthest they've gone. Okay, what kind of yeah. test do you have? Yeah, what are you really testing? What are you testing? Yeah, I mean that was my thing at that one company was you're so devoted to tests, and I got the speech about why testing is so important and everything. It's like okay, I've been in this business 30 years already, bro. And you're what, 22 years old. (laughs) I've heard that speech and it sounds great. But the point is all of your pages take almost two minutes to load. And I find bugs on every single page. And these are pages that are legacy. They haven't been worked on in a long time and there's bugs on every single page. So what are you testing? Yeah. But going back to where automated (laughs) tests are useful in, in the regression space, um, my impression anyway, from what I've seen, the, the PHP developers group, the p- people that actually develop PHP, their, their testing suite seems to be, from my impression, designed for that. It's designed mm-hmm. to catch regressions. I, I don't, I'm kind of speaking out of turn here, but I don't think they, they proactively write tests. Mm. A bug comes in, they, they write a test to verify that that bug is fixed and they go write the fix and that test goes in. And so then every time you do a build, you can, yeah. you can run the test. And sure, PHP has had some security issues. I don't think PHP, the language, has security issues. It's more things like WordPress. Yeah. But overall, it's a very stable programming right, language. Right. And I, I feel like they do it right. Yeah. They use automated tests for the purpose of catching regressions. Right, right. So it sounds like you can have people testing without automated testing but you cannot have automated testing and rely on that without having a person or a group of people looking at what you're doing Yeah, from a human perspective. And, and there are people in San Francisco that will tell you that's not true. Yeah. Because I've talked to them. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the, I can't remember the name of the company, but we went to QCon. I mean, he said, we do not have a QA department and we will never have a QA department. That's I'll bet you dollars company. to donut if that company still the exists, company they have exist a QA now. department now. Yeah. Or they don't exist. But they don't. It was 2010, so I bet they don't exist. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember what, what the company was? No. Okay. Damn. It's uh, a big financial thingy. Yeah. I mean, a lot of their stuff was pretty impressive because they had built their own dashboards on top of these, uh, you know, these testing suites and things. And they could revert, you know, if and and with the dashboards, they had like graphs of response time and other kinds of things. And if something went awry, they could push one button and revert everything, revert the check-in, the last, you know, whatever check-in, rebuild and get it going again without, without, you know, just instantaneously. And, you know, they talked about having customers call them and say, hey, if I could just see this on this report, that would be great. And they said two hours later, we're calling the client saying it's done and they can't believe that. But I don't think that's due to necessarily what, I don't know. I just think that's that's kind of a, yeah. That's, it's that's, you're trying to be a, such a maverick with a statement like right. That, that you're just gonna hurt you. Right, right. It's almost like begging the universe yeah, to smack exactly. you. <laughs> it's like, Murphy, come get me. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we talked a little bit about Grant says uh, look for people who maybe have an OCD diagnosis. <laughs> um, what what are the characteristics of a good quality? Per quality engineer, quality assurance, a tester. What are you looking for and how do you know? To me, how much I, can they bench? How much can they bench? <laughs> how much you bench? How much you bench? I harp on this all the time with everybody. It never works. 
They never listen to me, but I harp on it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) If I can't reproduce the bug, I can't fix it. Mm, yes. And so a good, uh, the quality, and this goes back to the attention to detail, yes. the quality of a good QA tester is the ability to describe exactly what they did in minute detail, yeah. almost assuming that you're the dumbest person on the earth. Right, right. When they, when they describe this bug, because oftentimes other people, when they describe a bug, will leave out things that they think are, that's just obvious. Of course you go to the login page. Well, that may be significant. Yeah, it could be that something in the login like I already have a cookie in a session and so I bypass the whole brand new login flow and that's where the problem originates. Right. And I actually had that happen one time at a company and this was with a QA person who was otherwise unbelievably good. Yeah. This was one of those worth their weight in gold. But, but, and I, I can't remember her name now, but, um, she, she wrote this bug report. I would repeat it to the T and I could not replicate it. Yeah. I kept going back and forth. She's like, just, and so finally I walked over to her desk and I said, just do it. And sure enough, she did something that she didn't put Put in the bug report. Yeah. And that, that made all the difference. Then I could reproduce the bug. That reminds me of one of my favorite little things is when somebody would come to me for, this isn't working. Well, what did you change? Oh, I didn't change anything. And you come over and they walk through and you, you observe the whole thing and you're like, well, what's that there? Oh, well, I changed that, but that wouldn't cause it. And you're like, that's exactly what caused this. <laughs> How many times that's happened to mm-hmm. me where oh, I didn't change anything. And then you spot something. Oh, well, I did change that, but that wouldn't cause, that wouldn't have anything to do with this. And then you should walk through and show them how that's exactly what caught. Oh, <laughs> and, and just like, why didn't you just tell me up front what you changed? And to me, that's, that's <laughs> really significant. That's why you want a QA department, yes. because if you don't have a QA department, it's like I told someone recently. You are using your customers as QA testers and they are not qualified to do that because the way they give back a bug report is going to be cancel or I I did, I did this, you know, one step I did this and it It broke. Yes. And they're not going to be able to give you that level of detail. Right. And the other problem with that is if your customers are the first time that anybody's doing QA on your product. You're going to lose customers. Customers yes. have a very low tolerance. The The average casual user, which most companies thrive on the average casual user. Right. The average casual user has a very low or no tolerance for helping you fix your broken shit. Right. <laughs> because, I mean, you're probably not the only one out there. So when they open up your app and it doesn't work and they can't log in or blah, 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 they they can't do what they need to do. these weird things and it's getting in the way of what they're trying to do. They're uninstalling that app and they're going to the next one. Forget it. Yeah. Not worth it. We all know that because we've all done it. Yep. Yep. There's always a competitor out there. So. And I like the QA people. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. But um, there were, there are some that are really good at catching stuff and they kind of see it as like them against the developer. Yeah. Yeah. Where they're, they're like trying to find everything you could have screwed up on. It's very adversarial. Yeah. And you kind of, cause then they, they do come to places where you're like, that's not really a bug. Well, I don't like the way it worked. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but several people, and again, the MX logic team was just, you they know, they were phenomenal. They're like the Olympics. Yeah. Um, most of those people, I felt like we're on the same team together. They spot yeah. something. They're like, Ooh, this isn't good, dude. We got to get the, you know, yep. it was, it was more like we're both trying to get this really good. So yeah. we don't get embarrassed and look bad and have yep. it be bad. Yep. And it just felt like, you know, like they're willing to sit there with you as long as it takes for the two of you to work through it and figure it out. Yeah. I like those people. Exactly. And the proof is in the pudding, 
right? With them, to me anyway, with MX Logic, because MX Logic sold to McAfee for what, 4X, 6X, something like that. Uh, During the worst recession we've ever had oh, in this yeah. country since the Great Depression. Yeah. And I remember you guys telling me, they said to you guys, how did you guys get so much done with so little staff? Yeah. Because we had to me, a big part of that was QA because of the QA and because department. because of the way we work together. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I remember that story. They were flipping through stuff and somebody looked up and said, you've done all this with only 22 people. Yeah. Yeah. So compared to some of those big companies, we were good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We really were. So you pointed out something I want to just reiterate a little bit. Not only does the way a bug report is written matter in terms of it's reproducible from the bug report itself, but a lot of QA people will see something once, write up a bug about it, and if they tried to reproduce it, they wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. That's also not a great bug because if right. I can't, as the, as the tester, reliably reproduce it with my own steps, I definitely don't have enough information to send it back to somebody to ask them to fix it, Right. So this is, again, we sort of like categorize all this, this stuff we're talking about under attention to detail, but that's a huge topic. It's not just about attention to detail. It's about being thorough. Right. It's about relishing the minutia and the over and over. And, and, and being able to determine one bug from the next uh, in terms of okay, this is just not a major bug. I'm right. not, I'm, you know, I'll put in the bug report, but I'm going to, I'm going to prioritize this one fairly low because yes. this doesn't need to, to block yes. deployment yes. versus one that stop everything you're doing. Yeah. We've this is, work this is a this. huge problem. Right. Now, Grant pointed out something that I think is interesting. You said sometimes people will report a bug and it's like, no, that's actually the way that it's designed. Is user experience right. design enough to solve some of that like could use could good user experience also overcome no qa um no no i don't think it'll overcome that i I can't i honestly can't think of anything that would overcome no qa it can help Mm. good user experience can get you a long long way but also good user experience is really really hard yeah it is really hard so it is really hard and there's sometimes I'm, I'm pretty sure that we had projects where when the QA person went to check something in the project and they didn't like the way it worked or it was confusing or, you know, because of the way it it worked, it allowed them to screw up a little bit too much. You know, yeah. they would bring that feedback because, um, you know, in a real agile development thing, we've got a dedicated QA person or two on the project and they'd come to the stand up. Mm-hmm. And they'd bring that up with the product owner and say, you know, I'm finding that this blah, blah, blah. And the product owner take that feedback and say, well, the QA person's a user. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. important feedback. So, you know, and I've seen people adjust how, you know, I've seen the whole team say, you know, you're right. You know, the more we look at this, it looked good on paper, but. It's not working. And and so that's, you know, that's good too, is the QA team can't just can do more than just say you did or you didn't do what you said you were going to do at the beginning of the iteration you did what you said you were going to do, but it's not, it's quite, not quite right. Yeah, there's something wrong with this. So yeah. let's bring it to the team and see if we can make some adjustments. How important is it to have QA people? What, what I, what I want to ask is, is around, do you want QA people who are really technical and really savvy and like think a particular way? 
or is it better to have QA people who are not that? Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I do. And from, from a user experience perspective, from a how is this function perspective, from a, you know, I mean, how involved should QA be in the planning part of this? Because if, if they don't see the thought patterns that led to something that then confuses them, are they that much more, are they that much more likely to see those things because they weren't involved early? Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like how, what, what is the right way to work with a QA team? And at what point do you bring them into the mix? That's a good question that I don't think I know the answer to, honestly, because I can see benefits to both. I can see benefits to them being sort of a black box and they don't see, they don't know anything and you give it to them to, to get the feedback. And then there's obvious advantages to having them right at the beginning during the planning stages right. so that they, they know what the product owner had intended. Right. So that they can, they can base their testing on that. So they can go back and say, hey, product owner said way back, way back during planning that this needed to do X, Y, and Z and it doesn't. Yeah. So, huh. especially in this day and age where we don't really have specs anymore. I know. You know. Yeah. I mean, Agile's great, but you sort of fly by the seat of your pants a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. And, and, you know, and which is fine. It's fine. And to that end, that means there is kind of not as much planning. Yeah. So then, then I guess the, the QA team is a little bit forced to be in that, that black, black box. box kind of scenario. Yeah. Huh. What you do know, you think? It I, sort of depends on the project and the product. Mm. So again, going back to MX logic, I mean, our suite of things was all interrelated and, I always felt it was really nice to have some input from a QA person who was on the, you know, who had been with the company for a while. They have a familiarity with the users and the products. And they'd even point out sometimes to to product owners that, well, that's not the way this other, the other three things we have in our suite work. Uh. You know, we want some consistency there. You're trying to introduce this whole new way of doing something. And that doesn't really go with the things that are, you know, that our users are using now because product owner, this guy may have been hired in the last year from another company. Right. He's leading a new project. Um, and he's not familiar with that history. And you've got somebody who says, well, you know, when they're doing this and they're using that product, it works like this. So do we really want to introduce a whole new interface for that same kind of interaction? Yeah. Uh, Maybe not. Or maybe we should upgrade the other products. Yeah. But I liked having that kind of historical perspective. Yeah. Cause they use the product so much. Yeah. But if it's like a one-off thing, I think I'd rather, and, and especially with like apps and stuff, I found that that whole user experience thing is a more important testing subject with apps than it is with websites. Yeah. The interaction. Is this an argument maybe for having multiple different kinds of QA testers involved, like maybe some that are a little bit more technical involved from the beginning, sort of keeping that, that larger, larger view, but with a more detail. And then also having people whose whole role is doing black box testing and looking at it fresh, you know, I mean, and, and at what point in a company's growth, does that become appropriate? Like how much money should the average startup be spending on quality. I mean, I was just going to say from, I sort of feel like get all the QA you can afford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's better, you know, it costs you less to pay QA than it does to lose a customer. That's true. It's very true. And there are some really good teams like, um, App Adventures, which is a close friend of ours. Um, they have a phenomenal 
India, India-based, Hyderabad-based development team and QA team. And Amanda spent the last three, four, five years training them how to write and test mm. great software for American expectations, right? right? Which is always one of the, you never know what you're going to get working with, with an offshore team like that because the culture is so different. Right. But her team is fantastic at that. Really? I mean, they're fantastic at it. it the way she's got them dialed in is kind of amazing. I think in answer to your question, I, I suspect for larger companies that choose to afford a good solid QA team, they actually have a broad mix. They yeah. have someone that's sort of their job is to be that sort of black box and, and look at it from that perspective of the yeah. customer all the way to, they also have QA, what's called, it's an actual technical job description, a QA engineer. Yeah. And they're a mix of QA tester slash programmer. Right. They're the ones that are writing a lot of these automated tests for their team. In addition right. to developers, developers can also write tests and, and probably should be, but, um, but going back to what we said before, they're not the best people to be yeah. testing. Um, so I think a lot of these companies, I, I suspect, I don't know that a lot of these companies have that broad mix and maybe they should, Yeah, you know, so they're getting different eyes on yeah. different facets of the product. Yeah. So let, so let's take it back to our, our traditional client, our pretty typical client. They're usually very, very early, uh, pre MVP. Mm -hmm. At what point should somebody, you know, ramping up and getting ready to launch something into the market, at what point does it make sense to bring this on given that kind of a company, a startup, new idea, or maybe even like a company like our new client that's established. They've, mm -hmm. they've been doing what they do for almost 20 years, but it's not technology related at all. And now that here they're introducing this technology focused and based thing. Yeah. At what point do they, what point do they start spending that money? What point do they bring that in? What makes the most sense? Well, like, like Grant said, I mean, do they want their customers testing this or do they want to catch these issues Let's first? assume they don't want their customers <laughs> testing it. So, then, so, as so soon it's as gotta they be can. somewhere before launch. Okay. But if I'm, if I'm a startup and I'm like, you know, minimum funds and I'm trying to sort of get to revenue as quickly as possible, as cheaply as possible how late in the game can I go before I've already sort of like committed and, and, you know, I guess, I guess what I'm trying, what I'm trying to ask is, is there a point at which QA is only going to point out things that you can do nothing about? Yes. If you have, if you've and got what, a hard deadline, we know what deadline, that point well, is. If you have a hard deadline, okay. then, then that, that point is probably some period of time prior to that hard deadline. I see. Um, if you've got the ability to push that off, then if you wait until, okay, we think everything's done, everything looks good. All right, let's have some QA testers test this. Then, yeah, you're right. Is you're that going to be more expensive? Are you going to spend more time in development than if you brought QA in earlier? So let's say, let's say we get, it's a nine month project. Mm. Let's say we get to seven months and mm. we're sort of in hardening, you yeah. know, where, and that's the point at which you bring on QA. So they've got two months to kind of like delve in are they going to cover more things that are more expensive to fix at that point than if you would have brought them in earlier, you know, say four months into the project, halfway through the project where everything isn't quite as hardened and there is a little bit more, you know, you can do to change things around. I mean, or does it become a wash from a money standpoint? It really becomes about a stress level right? because <laughs> you're paying for QA longer. Uh, you know, but your pain, your development costs are probably a little more static because you're going to find those things sooner. I mean, I don't know. I, for me, the stress level of waiting until that close yeah. 
I mean, we just had a, we had a, we had a product launch and an app launch the end of December, like right around the holidays. That was super stressful and yes. not because of the holidays, but because it literally had our three eyes on it. That was yeah. it. And that was terrifying. And, you know, we're trying to work inside of budget constraints and time constraints and everything for a client that is in a startup. And had a hard deadline and, yes. you know, had to get this product out to customers yes. before and, Christmas. You know, so we're... And eggnog. And eggnog. <laughs> and so, um, you know, so we're trying to work inside of that. But oftentimes I think the cost of the stress level is much higher than the cost to, to throw a couple thousand dollars at a QA tester the month before. My gut tells me this is yeah. similar to what Grant has been talking about, which is integrate early and often. You know, we okay. realize that with the same project, if we had integrated the back end with the with the with the app way sooner, sooner, we would have caught a lot of things ourselves. Got it. And so I think maybe QA applies in in the same way. Yeah. You know, the sooner you can get QA in, the shallower these bugs are, yeah. and the cheaper they are to fix. Yeah. Huh. Integrate your back end sooner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, and and to that end, I mean, you don't if you're a small startup and you don't have the funds, yeah, or you don't feel like you have the funds right now, yeah, you can outsource this. There are companies, and there are companies here in Denver, so there are companies yeah. nationwide in this country whose sole job it is to outsource your QA to them. Yep, and it can be relatively inexpensive. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, a million dollar raise on the line and you have to get to you have to get to revenue and hit a couple of of metrics mm -hmm. one of the best ways to ensure you're going to do that is keeping your customers once you get them because it's yep. really expensive to acquire a customer and it's really inexpensive to keep one and one of the best ways to keep one is making sure that you have product market fit on the front end and that you're doing really really good testing before you send something out to users to make sure it's what you intended and that it works, right? Yeah. Bottom line, just don't make mistakes. That's just right. Just don't make mistakes. You don't have, have this problem. Dummy. So be perfect and forget all about it, QA. Mm. <laughs> like that company in San Francisco. We, we were laughing because Grant, uh, somebody sent him a thing that said, what did, what did that thing say? <laughs> an, I think it said mar marijuana issue sent to a joint committee. <laughs> So yeah, we're in Colorado. Uh, that's funny. That's funny here. Um, all right. Anything else that we think is important to cover with this topic? Even the, even the big guys make this mistake. Yes. You take Apple with Catalina, yes. right? I mean, the Mojave, I think everybody was just aghast at how good it was and how stable it was and everybody. And then, and then Catalina the next year comes out and everybody's like, what, what did you hell? do? Apple, when they never do this, they rarely do this. They came out and said, yeah, we didn't test this well enough. Yeah. Adobe. So creative cloud, which is how you now get, you know, Photoshop mm -hmm. and illustrator and all that stuff. It's a subscription based thing. And Adobe, when Apple put out the, the last Catalina, well, no, it happened in Mojave. Oh, it did. It happened in Mojave. So okay. Mojave came out. Now, Apple makes these OSs available to so anybody who writes software that has For to work with it. months and months prior. Months and months and months in advance. It took Adobe almost a year to fix a critical memory leak in Premiere Pro. Really? That meant you got about 15 minutes of video editing time in before your system came to a complete standstill and you had to restart everything. You had to restart to the whole OS? Yes. 
That's a nasty bug. It's a nasty freaking bug. And it lasted and it took over a, a year. year. Yeah, that's not good. That is, I'm sorry that just doesn't work. Actually. It's yeah. bad. It's bad. Right. So yeah, if you think you're a little guy and you know, oh, well, we didn't have the money and we made all these mistakes, you are not the only one. And I can promise you the bigger guys, when they do it, it's big it's and big. it's painful. And I'll bet you dollars to donuts, as my dad likes to say. <laughs> That Adobe, the reason that happened is because Adobe said, let's cut some costs here. What can we cut? And somebody said, let's cut QA. Yeah. Because they don't contribute to the bottom line. They don't appear to contribute to the bottom line. They so unbelievably contribute to the bottom line. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. So you're insane if you think that they don't contribute to the bottom line. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So uh, this was a good good one. I think this this was important for us to talk about. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's something that we kind of take for granted having been in this world for so long. Not that we take it for granted in that we have worked with really great QA teams and we have worked with terrible QA teams. <laughs> yes. So we definitely don't take for granted the quality of, of one of these people. But I think we just assume that everybody knows, yeah, you got to test your stuff before you stick it out there. But not that is not the case. And we have been just as guilty about not communicating that well to some of our clients and been like, Oh, you didn't know that? Okay, we got to yeah. <laughs> we got to add that to the checklist here. Um, and, and I think that's one of those things where I think we have to reiterate early and often. Yes, because we yes. say it, and then we don't because we think we say, we say it, and and oh, they're like we've said it a gazillion times to a gazillion clients, and we just sometimes and we think we okay, they heard us. They, they, heard they said they heard us, yep. and then it comes down to crunch time, and they're yep. like testing what what what. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. You remember nine months ago when we said <laughs> that you should have some And you testing. were like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Let's put that in our pro forma. And then some point along the way, you were like, well, we really need that money. So we're just going to pretend we'll we didn't stick there. that there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, so uh, as with everything in development, testing, user experience, um, product market fit, early and often, early and often, these things together are what means your end user will love what you're doing or will uninstall you and never come back again. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really, really important. QA is sometimes more difficult to convince people how critical it is to all of that. But these are the people who who are, their whole goal is to find issues. And you do not want to be relying on your user for that. You no. will lose them. They will never come back. That is lost revenue. And it's somebody who's out there potentially hearing the name of your company and telling people about the bad experience they had. Yep. We don't want that. Or writing it on blog posts. Or, or writing doing on blog YouTube posts. YouTube reviews or, of yep, your product. Google reviews or app store reviews, mm-hmm. which are so hard to overcome. And we actually had yeah. an investor, uh, one of our clients, they got a, they got a negative app store review. Um, now, to be fair, we have had clients that get negative app store reviews from people who have clearly never used the product. Mm-hmm. And some people are just trolls. Yeah. But this one, the guy had a legitimate complaint and felt like he was not, he was going unheard and an investor saw it and it spooked him. Yeah. It spooked him bad. You know, it worried him. He was like, you know, cause we're going after another round of funding and, you know, obviously you approach it, approach existing investors first. And mm-hmm. he was like, I mean, if this is this guy's experience and now it's out there for everybody to see, that, that scares me that I'm just throwing good money after bad. Yeah. You know, legitimately so. All right, good. This was a great topic. Thank you, Daryl, for suggesting it. That was a good one. Um, we are uh, 
probably going to be podcasting every other week this year. Um, we did every week last year for, for the most part, there's a couple weeks that we missed and we are actually working on having more guests on our podcast. So, um, the, the next episode, we're going to have another cybersecurity expert. He, works in a little different field than Sam Massiello, who we talked to last year. That that should be also a really great, really great episode. Uh, so stay tuned for that one. Uh, we're also going to start a series, uh, our favorite serial entrepreneurs. Uh, so we got, a, we got a woman coming in who has had a couple different ventures, one of which was not tech related at all. It was a beverage company. And she uh, she's just amazing and really cool. So you guys will enjoy hearing from her. I just thought of another one earlier. Yeah, and I, I'm actually having lunch today with somebody who I want to have come on. So this is going to be the year of we're gonna we're gonna go for every other week, and we're gonna try and have as many guests as we can on the show. Um, so this it's gonna be a fun year. Welcome to welcome to 2020. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we hope you've had a good time. We've had a good time with you today, and we will see you next time. This episode of Incubate This was brought to you by gotanappidea.com in partnership with Rika Technologies and The Rika Show. Visit us at rikatech.com for more fun with technology or at gotanappidea.com for more tips, tricks, strategies, and advice.